Come the Māori, listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Arau Koroi Hawkins. Coming up first. How the Pacific itself has changed, what issues are important in the region. I'm not just talking about climate change. The United States promises Pacific leaders deeper engagement, but just what kind of a region is it returning to? Well, it's uh, totally unexpected. I did not think it was in our nature, in our character to do also, a former president of Kiribati believes his country is cooking up a deal with China that may have influenced its withdrawal from the Pacific Islands Forum. And to go out for the community psychosocial support services that we've now expanded into our mobile counselling service. We hear more about a donation drive to help the Tonga Women and Children's Crisis Centre with its important work in the kingdom. An expert on Pacific geopolitics says the United States will find that it is returning to a very different Pacific Islands region to the one it disengaged from several decades ago. Today, the United States Vice President Kamala Harris has assured Pacific Islands Forum leaders meeting in Suva that Washington will significantly deepen its engagement in the region. Mrs. Harris joined the regional leaders on Wednesday morning to announce half a dozen new commitments to signal America's renewed involvement. She said the U.S. recognized that it did not provide the diplomatic attention and support that Pacific Islands deserved in recent years, but she says that will now change. Joining me is Mass University Senior Lecturer in Security Studies, Dr. Anna Poles. Kia ora, Anna. Welcome back on Pacific Waves. So exactly what kind of a Pacific region is the U.S. coming back into? Bulavanaka Koroi, thank you very much for having me back. I think it was, it's, it's useful to consider what a couple of the leaders uh, have said over the last 24 hours. Uh, Fiji's Prime Minister, Banimarama, uh, obviously Fiji's chairing the forum this year. Uh, he made the comment after uh, US Vice President Harris uh, gave her talk uh, to the forum uh, that the US was to become a Pacific partner like, like never before. Uh, but interestingly, uh, Henry Puna, the Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum, he uh, he said that the announcement showed deep substance behind United States commitment to the region after it had been uh, largely absent. Uh, and, that, and it's interesting also that New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern also, also referred to the US having been absent from the region for a long time. So the United States is coming back into a Pacific which has changed. Uh, the region is different. Uh, it's been several decades since we've had any substantive U.S. presence. And that, yes, obviously, uh, strategic competition uh, has become a, a, a significant dynamic in the Pacific. But I think also what perhaps the United States doesn't realize uh, or perhaps is beginning to realize is how much the Pacific itself has changed in the last 20 years. And that's something that they will really be needing to grapple with, uh, how the Pacific itself has changed, what issues are important in the region. I'm not just talking about climate change, but also the importance around issues like self-determination, for instance, uh, but also the fact that there are long-standing issues which remain critically important, such as anti-nuclear stance, for instance. Now, they've announced some money to go with this. It sounds a lot on paper and upfront. Um, how does it compare to what's already been given and is being given from other players in the region? Well, so Harris, uh, Vice President Harris announced uh, that the United States is, and the language is really important here, so that the United States is prepared to request from the US Congress 60 million per year for the next two, 10 years, 
which nearly triples the current levels uh, and it's 600 million in total and connecting it with connecting it with the new economic assistance agreement with the foreign fisheries agency so obviously congressional approval is required in order to have these funds released so we really need to have a better idea about the breakdown of these funds what is guaranteed and what is dependent on congressional approval obviously if the sum is is approved then it is going to make a substantial difference that is it is does make an important contribution uh to existing levels of uh economic assistance provided to the region but again we don't know whether or not it's guaranteed there are certain caveats around that and and also we need to have a clearer idea about how much of this is also linked through to North Pacific to the Compact Free Association states, for instance, 350 million in annual US assistance to the Pacific is also touted. So what is that? How does that actually break down? There's a lot of details here that we don't yet have. How much of this this deep engagement, re-engagement is the United States coming back into the Pacific for the Pacific countries with the interests of the Pacific countries in mind? And how much of it is sending a message to China? I think it's important to recognize that the the U.S. Indo-Pacific coordinator, Kirk Campbell, uh, who is really championing uh, re-engagement uh, with the Pacific in Washington, he was also the architect of the, of the pivot uh, to the Asia-Pacific. Uh, and back in 2012, he was very, again, very, very much championing re-engagement with the Pacific then also. Now, of course, we do have to recognize uh, that the US has a, has a vested interest in re-engaging with the Pacific because of the strategic competition um, and because of concerns about the nature and extent of Chinese influence in the Pacific. In, in Vice President Kamala Harris's speech to the Pacific Islands Forum this week, she, she talks about the international rules-based order and she refers to a time when we see bad actors seeking to undermine the rules-based order we must stand united so clearly there is messaging there from the united states uh, to the pacific island forum members uh, but also more broadly about a key driver for u.s engagement in the region which is very much about upholding the rules-based order Apart from all the, the geopolitics, this is the Pacific Islands Forum. How has the regional agenda been going in your view? Thanks, Koroi. It's a great question because it's very easy to be distracted by the geopolitics. But we have to remember that uh, tomorrow at the leaders meeting, the forum leaders will be endorsing the 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent, which charts out the, the region's vision, the leaders' vision for the region. And, it, and it's heavy on emphasis around the Pacific Way, around the Pacific family, uh, your regional solidarity and unity. And yes, of course, it has been tested a little um, over the past week with uh, Kiribati's announcement. But we have to remember, too, that there's an enormous amount of work that's taking place, uh, very innovative work. This is Pacific-led, Pacific-driven. Uh, and it's going to be really important that that focus is not lost. And this is exactly why the forum uh, leaders chose to meet without the dialogue partners meeting immediately afterwards because they, you know, they didn't want to lose that focus on what Pacific priorities are. And of course, we'll be wanting to hear, you know, does Australia with uh, Prime Minister Albanese's first uh, meeting attendance at the forum, will Australia be making some significant commitments while they're 
uh, in Suva. Uh, these are things that we'll be watching for over the next couple of days. Pinaka Anna, and for those of you interested, you can listen to the full extended version of that interview with Anna online via our website, rnzi.com, or in the individual podcast segments of Pacific Waves. Still on the Pacific Islands Forum, a former president of Kiribati says his nation's withdrawal from the regional body was radical and unjustified. Anote Tong, who was president from 2003 to 2016, says he also believes the country has an agreement in the works with China, which he suggests could be the main reason behind the withdrawal. RNZ Pacific reporter Elisha Foon in Suva asked the former president what impacts Kiribati's withdrawal will have on the Pacific family. Well, it's uh, totally unexpected. I did not think it was in our nature, in our character, to do something quite so radical like that. I, it's uh, very disappointing. I, um, I think the forum, I believe, I've always believed the forum is perhaps the, the most relevant of all the international organizations that uh, Kiribati is a member of. So that was a, a huge disappointment for, the, for Kiribati to formally advise that they are withdrawing from the forum. It's unheard of. I mean, I've not, uh, there's never, in the years that the forum has been in existence, there's been, never been any member withdrawing from, from the forum. I, I know that uh, there have been countries lining up uh, to, to join the forum. Kiribati's government feels its concerns were not being listened to by the forum. There was a letter that was sent to Mr. Henry Puna outlining four details. Um, as a result, uh, they yeah. saw no other alternative but to quit. Do you agree? Or what, what would you say to that? No. No, I'm, I'm, I totally disagree. I think I read the, um, the rationale behind it. I, I'm not so sure that um, it really provides the... Um, it it, it uh, gives the justification for the kind of uh, reaction to just uh, people like that. There should have been a lot of room to, to maneuver. I mean, um, I think uh, the, the discussions in Suva earlier provided uh, space to room to maneuver when the, the Micronesian countries let them put themselves into a corner. And so the negotiations which uh, Fiji brokered uh, should have given the, the opportunity for countries to really have another look at it. Uh, there's so much to lose at, at, the, at stake in, in losing membership of the forum. So I, I don't cannot imagine how Kiribati would win by having taken that step. There is a lot being reported um, that the four reasons in the letter, uh, there's a lot more behind the scenes. Um, we're hearing about China's influence, you know, playing a part in Kiribati's decision. But we have sources that say that Kiribati um, has been speaking about a deal around fisheries with China. So do you think there is influence right. from Beijing? So oh, I know that uh, that they, they're they're cooking something with China, and I think it would have started off with the um, the reopening of the, the Phoenix Islands protected area. And uh, I know that the government is in serious uh, problem with the uh, escalating budget, which is not sustainable. And so they're looking around for how to to finance that budget. And uh, they, I know that they're looking for how they might uh, boost the the, the the revenue. And so I would not be surprised if talking about a deal directly with the Chinese. Because I met in the Chinese, Chinese are very interested in uh, in in, Kiribati, in uh, you know, because of the uh, proximity to Kwajalein. 
where the, the Americans have, uh, you know, they have the, the test site for a lot of their weaponry. And of course, I, there's been expressions in the past which the president has confirmed that uh, uh, China was going to assist in development of Canton. Canton was a former uh, U.S. base, and it, it within closer proximity to the um, Hawaii. And so we are very strategically located, and uh, I I don't know what else. I know that the Chinese are also looking for uh, fishing uh, areas because they're being kicked out of different uh, fishing. Uh, EZ and other parts of the world. So, yeah, I, I suspect that uh, there would be something uh, that they, they are that they hope to gain from uh, uh, being isolated from the region and striking a deal directly with China. So that's been speculated, and I, I think I this might be the case. What else do you know about that? Is it just speculation, or do you have good grounds to know that there have been talks happening, or there has been a deal that has been struck? Uh, they, well, the, the foreign minister, the Chinese foreign minister, went through here for a, a few hours, the, um, I think, uh, end of last month, and there was a, a deal signed. Nobody knows what that deal is. And so that um, maybe this is part of the whole process. We don't know. Nobody knows. But, uh, of course, at the local political level, the government will need to be able to justify taking such a radical step, and uh, they have to come up with uh, an explanation for doing what they have done. A lot of these uh, long-term relationships with China aren't new, but we're seeing China demonized as well. Do you think that kind of narrative is helpful and taken on board by Pacific leaders? Or really, are, are they just trying to get the best deal for their, for their nation? We were exposed to a lot of propaganda, I'm sure, okay? And uh, China has been a demon. And, of course, the way they do things is very different than being an author- authoritarian government. It's very different from the, 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 the democracies which, which we are. And so that, that would be the challenge. And it's about getting, uh, getting over that, that difference that's going to be the problem, okay? Mm-hmm. And the question is, do, are we, do we feel threatened by China moving in, or uh, should we not be? And I think that is the question that each country should be assessing, because I know that... Um, the, the China comes in with a, a very different agenda. They they want to. They're very interested in the resources that we have. They're very interested in our strategic location, and so there are things that they want from us. The question is, uh, what will they give us in return, or will how will they achieve this? Will they take it from us, and at what cost? At the cost of our democracy, because we here in Kiribati we are going through a very interesting process because we seem to be, seem to be drifting towards a more authoritarian system. Okay. Yeah, you will be aware that uh, uh, our two high court judges have been suspended. One has been removed, and the, the chief justice has just been suspended. Okay, and so that these are maybe indications and or signs that something is happening that uh, it doesn't doesn't tell the full story, but eventually it will come up. A donation drive is underway in Aotearoa for the Tonga Women and Children's Crisis Centre. The online fundraiser is being run by the Pacifica Committee of the Fao Local Board in Avondale in Auckland. RNZ Pacific reporter Finau Funua spoke with the fundraising organisers and the head of the crisis centre and filed this report. 
The objective of the online fundraiser is to purchase a 12-seater minivan for the Nukualofa Base Center, helping to facilitate its outreach to villages. Director of the Tonga's Women and Children's Crisis Center, Offa Gutenberg Likiliki, says her center handles more than 50 cases per month, rehabilitating and rescuing victims of various crimes, including domestic violence, rape, bullying, as well as intervention in suicide attempt cases. The biggest need for us is a, um, a good, sturdy vehicle to go out for the community psychosocial support services that we provide, that we've now expanded into our mobile counselling service. So we're looking at Aotearoa to look for a vehicle here. The FAO committee, made up of nine leaders and social workers, advocates the rights of and consults Pacific peoples living in the FAO ward that comprises central suburbs in Auckland, such as Avondale and Newland. Reverend Asora Omosa says the online appeal for the Tonga Women's and Children's Crisis Centre was initiated after they heard about the challenges faced by the centre from their chair, Yvette Gutenberg, who is Offa's sister. The first thing that really moved the committee to go and do that is the fact that our chair is of Tongan descent. And at the beginning of the year, as we know, the tsunami, it's been on our minds to kind of find something to do and in, in kind of reach out. The heart of Pasifika is is. You know, I stated in letter that, that we were all gifted with the DNA of giving. According to the most recent United Nations report, Tonga is ranked 35th in countries for rates of domestic violence. Gutenberg Likiliki says domestic violence and rape cases hiked in the weeks following January's disaster, which saw many Tongan families become homeless. As well as the disaster, Gutenberg Likiliki says domestic violence is being exacerbated by family separations due to COVID-19 border closures, a drug crisis, and an increasing number of deportees arrivals. It was such a challenging time in Tonga and in the first four weeks the crisis centre is part of a case management team with the Tonga police. Tonga police came back saying out of all the crimes that has happened in the last four weeks in our first four weeks of lockdown domestic violence is at the top. And, you know, we weren't surprised. We knew that that was going to happen. FAO Pacifica coordinator Inapati Solo says one of the reasons why the board is compelled to help support the centre in Tonga is because many of the same social problems also occur in Avondale. Social groups in New Zealand, such as FAO Pacifica, are better funded to tackle the problems. And Pati Solo says charity initiatives helping Pacific Island countries should be one of the functions of Pacifica advocacy groups. We really are all in this together, um, but it just really screams loudly how important um, you know the NGOs are and community um, groups are in, in really trying to... Uh, and really trying to address some of the major social issues. The online fundraiser ends at the end of this month and is being hosted on the FAO Local Board website. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Korobwa for tuning in and sapo. Until next time.